we're in the last, uh, the last time together in this closer series. And I, I hope it's encouraged you that part of our responsibility in drawing close to God is to live disciplined lives is, is to, is to govern ourselves, to read the word of God, to pray, to communicate with him, to have fellowship with one another. And we're going to talk about the last one. This is not an exhaustive list by any stretch, uh, but we're going to talk about another one today. Um, next month, Skip alluded to, we're going to start a thing called the supremacy clause. Some of you know, there's a clause in the constitution called the supremacy clause that that means the constitution is above any, like if there's a conflict between a state law and a federal law, the federal law wins because of the constitution. So if you go to the Supreme court, about a challenging a state law, the Supreme court doesn't judge cases according to what your state says. It judges it according to the constitution. So the constitution is the Supreme law of the land. Everybody get that. Well, when Paul writes to the Colossians, he makes that case that Jesus is is supreme above everything else. And so we're going to we're going to lean in start leaning into that next week we'll lead up to Easter. But if if I could convince you of a little thing today and then next month convince you that Jesus has preeminence over everything in your life that he is supreme over every need, every desire, every he is bigger than anything that you face. In the next couple months, you can change the destiny of your life. Amen. He's bigger than your problem this morning. I can guarantee it. He's bigger than your heartache, bigger than your addiction, bigger than whatever you're dealing with. He is it. Amen. But before we get there, we're going to deal with one more discipline. And it's a discipline of generosity. Don't leave yet. I think the church does a disservice when we talk about generosity because we, we tend to narrow it down to money. I like money. I like money a lot. Anybody else like money? Uh, we live in a debit card world and a credit card world, but I started carrying money. Like I got $4 with me this morning. But it feels good when you put your hand down in your pocket and you're like, that'll spend right there. That'll spin in this pocket. It's a water receipts. So that won't spin. But I think we do a disservice when we just narrow generosity down to what we do with our money. I know money's a big deal. I know, I know marriages fall apart because of money. I know there's a ton of anxiety because of money. I know we neglect our kids because we want to make more money. I know we do all those things and, and money is a big deal. But if we narrow generosity down to money, we're going to miss a lot. We're going to miss a lot of opportunities because a lot of times people don't need your money. So I'm going to read a very famous story today. And if you've been part of any church for any length of time, you've heard the parable of the, of the good Samaritan. And I'm, I'm going to approach it in a way that uh, hopefully is more historically accurate than maybe what you've heard before and hopefully open up our eyes in a way that can truly transform the way we think about other people and the way we help other people. And so we're going to read from Luke. Luke records 
the parable of the Good Samaritan. I do want to make a point, though, that, that right, right before this, Luke records Jesus in this lawyer's conversation about who his neighbor is. Right before this, Jesus had sent out disciples with power to cast out demons, heal the sick, all that stuff. And they came back with this great report. Even demons obeyed us. And I, I, I think it's important that we understand that there is an opportunity to receive power from God to do unbelievable works on this earth. But then Jesus, but then Luke follows it up with the recording of what generosity looks like. Because absolute power will corrupt, absolutely. You've heard that. But power with a generous spirit changes lives. Amen? And so I don't think we can, I don't think we should neglect the placement of this story right after something powerful happens. This is, we have access to the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And what will we do with it? Jesus tells us over and over, You're not going to lord over other people like the Gentiles do. By the way, we're Gentiles. You're not just lord over people. You're going to figure out how to bless people and how to do good to people. And so power is an amazing thing to handle, but a power coupled with a heart of generosity changes the destiny of families and towns and countries. It it transforms lives. So we're going to lean into this this morning. And I'm going to be, uh, I'll tell you a little story about how just yesterday, God tested me on this. I hate it when he does that. Stay on your feet. Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verse 25 through verse 37. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. You can see it on the screen or maybe you brought your paper Bible with you. You can get it on the... Bible app on your phone, or you can go to uh, my MyHC app and find the notes there as well. Say amen if you're ready. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, now I gotta stop real quick. I love how Jesus answers follow-up questions. I think I'm gonna start doing this more. Somebody asked me a question, I'll say, yeah, that's right. And then when they ask me another one, I'm going to say, well, there's a man walking down the road. And I think most of you would just turn around and walk off. <laughs> Jesus was genius when it came to this stuff. So he says, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him back to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave to them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Father, thank you. Lord, just thank you for how much grace and mercy you've poured out on us. The richness of your grace to us is immeasurable. Lord, we pray that knowing your mercy towards us would result in us showing it to others. Help us do that, God. And we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. The story starts out, uh, Luke in this translation, the ESV translation of the Bible calls this man a lawyer. Could have been, he was probably a scribe, but he would have been an educated expert in the law. The, the Jewish law about how you how you were supposed to live in the in the type of life you're supposed to have and every rule that you should follow. So the Bible says that he comes up to Jesus and he asks him a question to test him. Now I need to back up a second because a lot this this story has been used to create an animosity that may not have been there. This was not an uncommon question to ask rabbis. Matter of fact, if you fast forward in Luke, you find a, a Luke describes him as a rich young ruler asking Jesus the exact same question. What do I have to do to become perfect? What do I have to do to make it? What do, what do I need to do? Because you have to remember for thousands of years, the mentality of a, of a law-abiding Jewish ruler or lawyer or scribe or Pharisee was to do the right thing to be righteous. And so this would not have been out of an, an out of out of the way question. He was saying, he was saying, okay, Rabbi, what's your take on it? What do I have to do to be made perfect? Now Jesus flips it around at him, knowing that he was an educated man, knowing that he was a a, a student of the law. Well, how do you see it? And he says, Love God with everything you have which is the first commandment, and love your neighbors yourself, which is the second. And we find out, we know that, that those two laws complete the whole law. If you love God with everything you have and you love your neighbors yourself, then, then the whole law is wrapped up in those two things. So Jesus says, yeah, you got it right. Do that and you'll live. Now, if you, if you understand what grace is, Jesus died and resurrected, and we don't live by works lest any man should boast, but we live by grace... Through faith in Jesus, we inherit eternal life. This may sound like Jesus is confirming that you can get there by doing good things. But trust me, that's not what's happening. Jesus is talking to a lawyer. You know you got to be careful. Is what I'm saying being recorded right now? Do I need my lawyer? Jesus is talking to a lawyer. So he says, according, how do you see it? So Jesus knows the man is coming from 
his perspective of the law. This is what we're taught. This is how we do it. This is what, love the Lord your God with everything and then love your neighbors yourself. Jesus says, yeah, that's according to the law. That's, yeah, dead on. And the follow-up question happens. He says, uh, just, just to be clear, remember a lawyer. I don't know if there's any lawyers in the room, but we know you. Um, just to be clear, I just need to want, I just want to make sure I'm clear on this because, um, if I'm going to do this right, then I need to define, I need to define neighbor. If you could help me define the term neighbor, because after all, not everybody's my neighbor. I mean, we've been taught that. So that's when the genius of Jesus's teaching sets out. He says, well, if you don't mind, give me a few minutes, I'll tell you a story. Uh, There's a man on a journey, and he ends up uh, getting jumped, beat up, robbed, left half dead. By the way, if you're laying in a ditch half dead, you look dead. Amen? Just just want to clear that up. If you're laying in a ditch half dead, you look dead. So Jesus begins to tell him that there's, there's some people that walk by him. By the way, I think it's in verse 33. He says, a priest by chance walks by this guy. Now, I need, I need you to understand something. Lean into me for just a second. Neither the lawyer or, the, or Jesus believed in chance. Jesus is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. Nothing happens in between those two bookends without him. Amen. John says, by him, all things are created, and without him, nothing is created. And when we get to Colossians next week, you'll find out he's over everything. So there's no chance, there is no chance that Jesus believed that the priest was walking by, by chance. And if you're with an attorney, you know they don't believe there's any chance. But for the sake of a good story, by chance, a priest just happened to be walking by. And then the same thing with a Levite. Now, what you have to understand about the priests is they were descendants of a guy named Aaron. He was Moses. Moses, the, the staff guy, the Ten Commandments, throw them down, break them, get a new set. Aaron was the brother of Moses and was the first priest of Israel. So, so this priest walking by is a descendant of Aaron. I mean, this guy's got some clout. Then the second guy that walks by is a Levite who comes from the tribe of Levi who, who is, I mean, they were special, set apart to God to carry on um, spiritual, all kinds of spiritual acts, all kinds of religious deeds. They, they were the group set aside to handle all these things. So you're talking about the first two people that walk down this road, no Jewish law, abide by Jewish law, live by Jewish law. They were the ones set up by God to ensure that everybody else was doing it right. So we got our... We got our good starting point. Jesus says, by chance, these guys were walking down the road. They see the half-dead guy laying in a ditch. And they walk on the other side. Now, now you could think that was mean if you didn't understand that culture. But if there was a priest and a Levite who held special place in authority and religious ceremonies in, in, in the Jewish life, you have to understand if they'd have went to a guy, remember half dead people look dead? 
If they'd have walked over to his side of the road and touched him in any manner, they would have become, become something called unclean. And then the rest of their plans that day would have been ruined. <laughs> because it's so easy to paint this as a story of just some religious jerks. And exclude ourselves from that because we're not that religious. Anybody plan? Anybody a planner in here? Planner? We're in trouble. There's like four of you. The rest of us are like, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. May go to work, may not. I have become more of a planner. Uh, I kind of live by my uh, Google Calendar on my phone. And um, I, I have to adhere to that. And, and there's something on every day. It's just the way our life has been. And there's something on every day. Um, it's actually, believe it or not, become more hectic the older our kids got. Because I, we became less responsible for our kids. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Somebody, somebody give an amen to Jesus for that. Like they're 18 and up, like you are on your own, even legally. We're not helping you. Get your own lawyer. <laughs> so what we found out is that the, like, when we had toddlers, our life was wrapped up around toddlers. Anybody got toddlers? Your life was wrapped like, well, we'd come and hang out with you, bro, but I got two four-year-olds. It's not even going to be fun. True? You know what I'm talking about, right? So the kids kind of rule your life. That's fine. That's what, that's what families are supposed to be. You're supposed to be dedicated to your kids, and that's all fine and day. That's You should do that. Stop hanging out with your friends and take care of your kids. But what we've recognized is the older our kids got, it didn't mean... We got less busy, it meant we got busy with other things. And so now our calendars are more full than they were back then. Because after all, a soccer game could last four hours. A track meet, I don't even go there. That was like three days. Like, well, I got a three-day track meet. So if you are a scheduler type person, it's easy to contemplate scheduling generosity. After all, we live in a technical age where I can schedule a gift. Isn't that cool? I could get online right now and schedule to send you a birthday gift in six months. So generous. Offering, we can schedule an offering. You go to H, uh, myhc.church and get on the app and you can get up there and you can say, I want to be super generous. I'm going to give $4 a week, every week, automated, right out of my bank account. Look at me. I don't ever miss. I'm generous on a schedule. Watch it happen. Click. We can, even be, we can even be scheduled with our volunteering. We have this little thing here, this management system that can send you. Anybody ever got an email from the, from the system and said, could you serve at this point in time? And you can get, I've been generous twice this month. 
Yes. And then you pull it up, you look through your calendar, you're like, nope, can't do it that Sunday, can't do it that Sunday, can't do it that Wednesday, can't do it that, but I can that one. And God loves me now. Because we're being generous. The trouble is, even though the irony is so thick that Jesus doesn't believe in chance and neither does the lawyer, he adds it in there for a reason. Because you can't schedule all of it. That if you're going to be really generous, and I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about time and your emotions and all the stuff that includes generosity. If you're going to be really generous, it's going to happen when you don't want it to happen. Because you're going to pull out your Google Calendar, you're going to, bro, I don't have time for this. Case in point. We're building a house over in Martinsburg. The church owns the property. And I don't know, we've been working on it 10 years or something like that. That's what it feels like. And if any of you are builders in here, you know the grind. You get right down to the end of it. And it's like, we could live in it right now, but it's not done. And so we want to get it to the place where we can sell it. We want to bless some. We want to be generous. But they're just, I was there Thursday. We're turning the water on. And there was an old house there. We tore the house down. It has the same foundation. We built a new house on, on, on the old foundation. And it's, and it's a beautiful little house. Had the, had the same water line coming in the, in, the, in the house from the original water line coming in the house. And so we hooked everything up, hooked the, hooked the plumbing up, and we turned it on. And we were sitting there. It, Fifteen minutes later, the water heater had not filled up yet. Well, this ain't going to work. So Bill was there with me, and Bill says, oh, man, Chris, I think we're going to have to dig up the front, the line, to, out to the meter. I'm like, sure we are. Why wouldn't we? We're almost done. Why wouldn't we just tear the whole thing down and start over? So, um, so I, I schedule it. Talked to my son. My father-in-law was there. We, um, let's go out Saturday. There's nothing I think I could rather do on Saturday than just go dig up a stupid water line out in Martinsburg. So we get there, my son started digging it up, and we, we, find, we find where there was a leak. And it's a good thing we replaced it. Have confidence that we're doing the right thing. Well, we hadn't even really started digging very much. And, and there's this neighbor, lives a couple, maybe four or five houses down the road. I, I don't know who, I didn't know him. He was walking up the road kind of breathless. And... Um, and she said, hey, I need your help. And I thought, sure you do. Why wouldn't you? I'm here digging a water line. I'm not going to tell you what they needed help with. But it is so far out of my wheelhouse. I mean, if I thought about helping somebody, I would leave you dead on the side of the road if you mentioned this. It's just not me. But here's what happened. Like God always does, I wrote this sermon on Wednesday. (laughs) See, the benefit that you have is you don't write sermons on Wednesday. So I write a sermon on Wednesday, and God goes, oh, that's pretty good, Buster. Now let's try out your theory. (laughs) So Wednesday, I write the sermon. Thursday, I find out the water line's broke. 
Saturday in the middle of digging the water line, somebody needs help. Just so happened, a priest was walking down the road. I wasn't even happy about it. We left the house and I told my father, I was like, we did help. Church, you can't schedule it. I've been in church a long time and I've seen greedy people tithe. I've seen stingy people tithe. I've seen, I've seen people schedule just enough generosity to check the box, but be unavailable any other time. I've seen people be generous. Hey, I gave this much and that should clear me from all other responsibility. I've, I, I've, I've done it all. And, and the thing about it is, the thing about it is, is the people that do that, they're not necessarily bad people, but they just don't understand the concept of generosity. They don't understand the discipline that it takes that when you're being interrupted, you have to recognize. And I'll be honest with you, yesterday I wasn't looking up to God going, you gave me an opportunity, Lord. I was like, how dare you? The priest and the Levite would have been perfect tithers. I'm not saying they wouldn't have been given 5% or 6% or 7.5%. They would have been perfect tithers. They would have been perfect inside the church. The issue is when it becomes inconvenient outside the church, how did they measure up? And we could build a culture where in here it looks really good. Look at what we could do. Look at how much we can give the missions. Look at all this stuff. Look at how nice we are to each other. But it's Saturday afternoon when I got something else to do. And you got to know I didn't tell anybody I was a pastor. Just in case I'm not as generous as I should be. You can look at their judgment if you want. I'm talking about you too. <laughs> now, by chance, a priest was going down the road. So, likewise, a Levite. The issue is for most of us, we want to anticipate the generosity so we can get ready for it, so we can save up, so we can budget, so we can clear the schedule, so we can do it. We want to anticipate it. But I can't. I can't really anticipate it all the time. I can't budget it all the time. I can't. If I'm going to live a heart and life of generosity, I've got to be open to the interruption. True generosity will always confront us when by chance we're going down a road. Listen, your hearts are rarely revealed by what you plan, but what happens when it interrupts your plan? That's when our hearts are revealed. And I might have been grumbling, but I walked down there and helped anyway. can't plan it all. There's opportunities that are going to come in your life. There's opportunities. If you've got a, a family, there's opportunities that, that, that all of a sudden you're, something happens with your kids. It's going to provide an opportunity. You can't look at it as an interruption. 
all the time. So you got a priest and a Levite that walk down the same road and they see the guy and they walk on the other side. And it may have been a legitimate excuse in the moment. But can I say this to you? The church has to stop looking the other way. Everybody understands the concept of sin not doing the wrong thing. Everybody understand that? Not, that's how we were raised, right? If you're, if you're parent, I, I did this. Most of you growing up heard, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Is that true? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And that's traditionally how kids are raised. Don't. No, 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 no. I switched it up. I started saying, I don't care. (laughs) Hey, Dad, can we do this? I don't care. So it kind of got me out. I didn't say yes. I didn't say no. I just said, I don't care. Because we were raised like that, we oftentimes think about sin in the terms of of avoiding it and not doing something. Hey, if I'm going to live a life close to God, I'm going to stop this over here. I'm going to stop this over here. I'm going to stop this over here. But James tells us in James chapter 4, verse 17, that it's not just about stopping things. It's about doing some other things. So being right with God, not sinning, does have a lot to do with not doing certain things. But then there's a whole other side of it about knowing what to do and not doing it is also sin. James 4, 17, can you put it up there? It says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and what? Fails to do it for him, it is sin. Now, this is a tricky sin because I can't apply it to anybody else. Did you read it? It doesn't say, it's not like adultery where we could just go ahead and agree it's all wrong. I'm preaching at the wrong church. There was no amens in that. Everybody's like, well, I mean, there's certain circumstances. I mean, I'd, I'd let that one go if it was me. My God. I hope the people online were like, amen, adultery's wrong every time, amen. Listen, here's what's tricky about this sin. Because James is saying you have the opportunity to do right and you don't do it. So you can't translate to anybody else but you. You're the one that walked down the road and you're the one that looked the other way. So it's not universal. It's a, you chose not to do the right thing, so therefore it ends up being sin. For him, it is sin. So all of a sudden, there's the, there's the I know the universal things we should all avoid. And then over here, it's the closest to God, the discipline of being generous to realize I should be doing that, and if I don't do it, it's sin. And that comes from your own internal Holy Spirit. Lord, our prayer should be, let me recognize the right things to do. Man, as Christians, we can get so caught up in not doing the wrong things. It's just like, man, I can't mess up. I can't mess up. And the whole time we could be messing up, avoiding the right things. And when the neighbor down the street says to help... All right, Lord, let me not miss this. I'm going to preach about it Sunday morning. Let me not miss it. 
It might not feel good. It might be an inconvenience. It might be out of your wheelhouse. It might be awkward. Walk down there and do the right thing. Because if I avoid it, for me, it is sin. I ain't judging you with that. I'm saying if I avoid that, for me, it's sin. So we have to have our hearts close to God to discipline ourselves, to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Help them. Don't look the other way. Help them. I heard you say that last week, Lord, but I was busy. Sin. I heard you say it last week, Lord, but I already, had already given. I heard you say it last week, Lord, but I had already put it on the schedule. I, I, you know, my, kind of planned out, Lord, you got to come to me early with these things. Generosity always has a cost. The priest and the Levite would have been deemed unclean for touching what they probably thought was a dead body. If the priest and Levite walk over and help the guy out, the rest of their day is ruined. Whatever they had on the schedule, you could just write it off. In their culture, they would have been able to come in contact with nobody else. There was a cost for them. They realized the cost of helping was, was too great. And the same thing with the Samaritan man. He didn't get away without a cost. If we're truly generous, it will cost us something. But here's the trouble. There's always a calculation being made. There's always a calculation. There's two calculations that are going on. How much is it going to cost me and are they worth it? Those are two totally different calculations. Because you may be able to afford it, but if you've deemed them unworthy of it, you still won't do it. If I say it's not worth it to me, it doesn't mean I can't afford it. It just means I've done the calculation in my head that it's not worth it. And then it always rings back to Jesus who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped but humbled himself even to the point of death. It's, he said it was worth it. That while we were enemies of God, while we were, did you hear that term? Enemies of God. That we, were, that we were following our own passions, our own desires. But Ephesians says, but God, rich in mercy. And in his great love, he decided that it was worth it. That it would cost Jesus, but you were worth it. And when we walk out of these doors, that same calculation has to happen in our heads. I have what they need, and they are always worth it. Because that's the way Jesus responded to us. He had what we need and we were always worth it. It's going to cost us something. Stop pulling your calculator out and going, it's not the budget. It's not my time. I don't know. You know, Peter, Peter had this conversation with Jesus about whether it was worth it or not. Whether how far, how far do I go, Lord? And, and traditionally, forgiving somebody three times and rolling on was kind of like the deal. Wouldn't that be great? I have to inform you, this was the third time. There will be no more. 
So Peter comes to Jesus and says, hey, man, what if I gave seven times? A little extra credit here, Jesus. Seven. I'm not going to double it. I'm going to double it and add one. That's going to look generous. Jesus says, how about 70 times seven? How about we just go all the way to the end? How about, how about we make them so worth it that we don't put a limit on it? How about we make the people that lie to you so worth it you don't put a limit on it? How, may, how about you make the people that said bad things about you so worth it you don't put a limit on it? How about you make family that you refuse to talk to you so worth it you don't put a limit on it? How about... 70 times, some of you are like, well, Susie's like 463, so we're getting close to the 490 thing. The problem is we are calculating the cost. And generosity can't do that. If we're going to be disciplined in the area of generosity, you can't start counting. By the way, we're horrible counters when it comes to ourselves. Because I blew that 490 thing out of the water years ago. I blew that Jesus, I'm going to never do that again years ago. And so all of a sudden, I find out that he stopped counting the cost for me, and I shouldn't count the cost for anybody else. I just know it's going to cost something that is never going to be free. Forgiving my sin wasn't free, and being generous towards somebody else is never free. So let's go back to the story. Jesus says, um, there's a priest and a Levite walking down the road, walking on the other side of the road. Now, I need you to understand something. The lawyer probably didn't even blink when, that, when he said that. He was probably relieved to say, well, it's good. They were keeping the law. We'll touch a dead body. Don't want to get all tangled up in that mess. That's for somebody else. And I have a feeling that the attorney that was listening was just kind of fine with the way the conversation was going until Jesus said these words, then a Samaritan man who was on a journey. Now, historically, Samaritans were, were part Jewish and, and part another hated group of people. And so because they weren't purely Jewish, they were outcast, which had caused great animosity between them and the Jewish nation. Great animosity. To the point where, the other day we talked about the woman at the well. When Jesus went to the woman at the well, the disciples were like, what are we doing? Even the woman at the well was saying, why are you talking to me? Great animosity. So I can see the attorney going, that's a pretty cool story. And then Jesus said, then a Samaritan came walking down the road. And I can feel the tension draw up in the guy. You ever read a good novel? And, and you get to the part where you're like, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. If you open that door, you're going to die. I know it. I've read enough of these books. If you open the door, you're going to die. It's kind of point in the novel where Jesus is and a Samaritan man walks by. And I can feel the attorney going, don't do it. Don't you dare make a Samaritan man be the hero in this story. Don't, don't you say Samaritan. Anybody else. Feel the tension rising when Jesus gets to this part. He says, the Samaritan man walks by, picks a guy up, deals with his wounds, puts him on his own animal, 
walks him into town, puts him in an inn, pays for everything, and then tells the innkeeper, two days wages, by the way, then tells the innkeeper, put him on my tab. If there's anything extra, I'll come around and pay for it. Listen, Jesus wasn't talking to a dummy. I can imagine the man sitting there going, yep, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. I don't like it, but I see what you did there. And then Jesus follows up with like, hey, who's your neighbor? Remember that neighbor question you asked me way back at the beginning of this story? Who would you consider neighborly in that circumstance? You notice the man didn't say the Samaritan because they're such lovely people. All he could muster up to say was the one who showed mercy. He couldn't even say who he was, just the one who showed mercy. Jesus said, yeah, you're right. I need you to lean into me a little bit here. I need you to go and do that same thing. The people that nobody else would help, the the, the thing that's out of your wheelhouse, the thing that you're going to make the excuse for, the thing that you're going to say, I can't do that, I can't afford that, I can't be that person. You know I'm not wired that way. You know what they've done to me. You know animosity between our family and their families went back decades. You know, you know Uncle Eddie, you know he did that way back in the day. I can't help him anymore. You know there's been such a, there's a hard line drawn in the sand and they don't cross it. We don't cross it. We're just live just fine. Until Jesus says, you go and do likewise. He breaks down every barrier, every mold, every argument, every, every, well, it's been this way forever. He breaks the whole thing down with one little story. And he says, if you want to be disciplined in generosity, you better stop for the people that you don't even like. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter five, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. So when Jesus gets up and preaches this really long sermon about a lot of cool stuff. And, and if you think I preached long, that was a long one. In chapter 5, verse 43, he says, You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. And can anybody help me with this? Don't you love it when the Bible just goes all together like this? Just morphs all into the... Jesus in Luke chapter 5 is telling a story of who our neighbors are. And he uses a guy that Jews would have hated to show how generosity actually works. And he says, I want you to end up acting like the person that you hate. And if somebody that you hate is laying on the side of the road, I want you to help it. Because the Samaritan did the thing that I want you to do. And then we go back to Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus is saying the same thing on the Sermon on the Mount. You heard that it's been taught. It's been tradition. It's been part of the way we've lived. You've heard it said. Love your neighbors and hate your enemy. Why do you think the lawyer was asking him to define it? He's asking him to define it because he knows that that's what we've been taught. And then in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus throws the whole thing on its head. Stand to your feet. We'll close with this. But I say to you, verse 44, get ready, church. I'm getting ready to teach you something new. He's on the Sermon in the Mount preaching this great sermon. Blessed are these, blessed are these, blessed are these, blessed are these. You've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But here's a new teaching. Love your enemies. 
love your enemies. So now this isn't just about, man, you know I don't want to do stuff like this. Now this is about people that don't like you and you don't like them. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Listen, church, if we're going to get this discipline thing right, we can't schedule it. It's always going to cost something. And we have to be able to do it to people that we don't and may not like you. Because when Jesus stretched his arm out on the cross, he didn't say, these are for the people that like me. These are for the people that supported me. This is for, he wasn't running a political campaign. He was dying for the whole world. And so the church can't pick and choose who we're generous to. The church can't wake up one day and say, you did me dirty, so you're off. He said, love your enemies. And when he showed us a picture of how to be generous, he picked enemies to show it. Do good to one another. Now you walk out and do the same thing. Amen. Can we lift our heads towards heaven? Can we ask him to forgive us first for picking and choosing, for calculating a cost, for always trying to schedule it? And saying, Lord, open up my eyes to who you want me to be generous towards. Let me see it as I come and I go and I walk through the day. Lord, I give you permission to interrupt me. I give you permission to rewrite my schedule, Lord. I give you permission to just have so happen to find it. Lord, transform us today. Lord, help us be good at this and draw closer to you. Help us to be more like Come on, could you make that proclamation to him? Lift your voice, sing that out.